What's up, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here to listen to Vanished in the Valley. So today, I'm going to tell you about a NASA whistleblower by the name of Thomas Barron. He was mysteriously, ironically, however you want to put it, killed by a train in 1967, along with his entire family. He was very critical of NASA's safety protocols and kind of just blew the whistle. He released a 500-page report to the media, which has since disappeared. It's never actually been released, so you can't even find it now. And everybody claims the report is just gone. So I'm kind of relying on second, third source information, but I thought it was a pretty intriguing story about whistleblowers and the risks they and their families have to endure after coming out with information critical of the government. I'm also going to talk about some declassified CIA documents that discuss the fact or theory that Adolf Hitler escaped in a U-boat and went and lived off the rest of his life in Argentina. There are pictures of Hitler dining with some so-called Argentine elites in a hotel that the CIA had their hands on as early as 1945. So we're going to talk about how all of these documents have been declassified for 10 years now, yet people still believe Hitler committed suicide in a bunker in Germany. I'm also going to tell you about some emails that prove the CDC colluded with big tech and told them what to censor on the topic of COVID. I know, fucking shocking, right? So sit back and get ready for this. Being a whistleblower can be extremely hazardous to your health. As Thomas Barron found out April 27, 1967, he was a quality control and safety inspector for North American Aviation, NAA, when it was the primary contractor to build the Apollo Command Module. Barron compiled a 169-page report critical of safety standards at North American Aviation, and then he decided to leak the report to the media. After the NAA learned of this, they fired him. And then after the Apollo 1 fire, Barron wrote a 275-page report on NASA safety protocol violations, which he gave to Representative Olin Teague's investigation at Cape Kennedy, Florida, on April 21, 1967. Now, the chairman of the NASA Oversight Committee claimed that Barron had made a valuable contribution to the Apollo fire probe, but that he had been overzealous. Now, six days after he gave his testimony, Barron was killed instantly, along with his wife and stepdaughter, when a train crashed into their car near their home in Florida. Barron's death, which was supposedly witnessed by a woman, was later ruled as an accident with no suspicion of foul play. Hmm. When you search Thomas Barron's name on Google, one of the top results you will get is from a NASA apologist website who takes a step-by-step -step approach trying to debunk the conspiracy theories that he was assassinated by the government. One of their points was, while the nature of the accident that killed Barron and his family might have seemed freakish and suspicious at first glance, if you consider the logistics of coordinating a train to pass at the exact time when Barron's car is passing and making sure Barron can't see it, and avoid being struck, it seems an absurdly complicated way to go about eliminating an embarrassing witness. Let's just fucking think about that and break that down for a minute. 
What if the Barons were drugged and unconscious and their car was placed on the tracks? Or maybe they were incapacitated in some other way. Now, apparently, the woman who witnessed this quote-unquote accident had time to honk her horn and try to warn him to get his car off the tracks. And the train's conductor had time to blow the whistle as well. Yet, the Barons just sat there, didn't try to run, get out of the car, and died instantly when the train smashed them. Another point on the apologist website is that Barron died after he talked to the press, after delivering his extended report to Congress, after testifying before the commission subcommittee, and after the very serious problems in the design of the Apollo command module had become public in the most tragic and inescapable ways with the death of three astronauts. They seem to think silencing Baron at this point would have been completely useless. And I have to disagree. Not only would this stop Baron from making any more embarrassing reports for NASA, it would also send a message to other would-be whistleblowers. Baron's quote-unquote tragic accident was referenced in a report in a 1986 Orlando Sentinel article. And the shuttle workers were saying they are too afraid to talk about the Challenger. A NASA engineer stood at the end of his driveway in the dark of night. He said he wanted to talk, but he couldn't. He feared not only for his job, but maybe even for his life. There was a whistleblower against NASA in the 1960s, he said. The man caused a lot of trouble, made a lot of noise. There was only one problem. He died mysteriously late at night after his car was crushed by a train. It takes a certain personality to be a whistleblower, the engineer said, and I'm just not the type. I have a wife, kids, and a home. Dozens of the KSC workers contacted by the Orlando Sentinel since Challenger exploded January 28th said they have been instructed by NASA or the contractors who employ them not to talk to the media. Now, the Challenger explosion was nearly 20 years after Thomas Barron was mysteriously killed in the dead of night. And workers are still thinking about that incident, and it has kept many of them quiet. So I would say that Thomas Barron's death definitely sent a very strong message to other would-be whistleblowers employed by NASA and other contractors. Now, like I was saying earlier, that 500-page report has just disappeared into thin air. His full-length report was never made public. Now, if you go to NASA's official website, they do touch on the whole Barron situation, and I'm going to read you a little excerpt from an article talking about Barron. NASA wrote, Barron passed on these and other criticisms to his superiors and friends. Then he deliberately let his findings leak out to newsmen. North American considered his actions irresponsible and discharged him on January 5th, 1967. The company then analyzed and refuted each of Barron's charges and allegations. In the rebuttal, North American denied anything but partial validity to Barron's wide-ranging accusations. Although, some of the company officials later testified before Congress that about half of the charges were well-grounded. When the tragedy occurred, Barron was apparently in the process of expanding his 55-page paper into a 500-page report. 
when his indictments were finally aired before Teague's subcommittee. During a meeting at the Cape on April 21st, Barron's credibility was impaired by one of his alleged informants, a fellow North American employee named Mervyn Holmberg. Holmberg denied knowing anything about the cause of the accident, although Barron had told the committee that Holmberg knew exactly what had caused the fire. Holmberg testified that Barron gets all of his information from anonymous phone calls, people calling him and people dropping him word here and there. The article goes on to say, Ironically, Barron and all of his family died in a car train crash only a week after his exposure to the congressional questioning. What the fuck? Ironically? Yeah, okay, sure, it's pretty fucking ironic. Now, guys, Thomas Barron is just one of the many whistleblowers that have died mysteriously after dropping a dime on whatever organization they had worked for. A couple, I'm just going to quickly put some names out there. Aaron Schwartz was the creator of Reddit. Michael Rupert from Los Angeles Police went public as a whistleblower when he exposed corruption within the police department and CIA. He was found dead in 2014, reportedly dying from a gunshot wound, and it was deemed a suicide. While he left a recorded suicide message saying that he took his life so the CIA wouldn't murder him. Ah, that sounds really fucking suspicious. Another one is James Dolan, who was a co-creator of the whistleblower submission system SecureDrop, along with Aaron Schwartz. Now, Aaron Schwartz killed himself in 2013 following prosecution for an alleged criminal hacking incident. 36-year-old Dolan, who reportedly also took his own life, joined the Freedom of the Press Foundation after Schwartz's death. The circumstances of Dolan's death are yet unknown. However, the FPF reported that he had been suffering from PTSD since the Iraq War. You guys, this is just a few of many. There are maybe dozens and dozens of names on the whistleblower mysterious death list. So just know, whether you are a big whistleblower against the government or a small whistleblower against a company you work for, there will be repercussions and you have to be ready for that. So moving along now to the CDC coordination collusion with big tech. Now I found this information on freebeacon.com. So according to America First Legal, the CDC coordinated with social media companies and Google to censor users who expressed skepticism or criticism of COVID-19 vaccinations. Now, I'm sure this does not come as a shock to any of you guys listening today. I think I've talked about it like 55 fucking times. But I'm going to actually read some emails between the CDC and different big tech personnel. Over the course of at least six months, starting in December 2020, CDC officials regularly communicated with personnel at Twitter, Facebook, and Google over vaccine information. At various times, the CDC officials would flag specific posts by users on social media platforms, such as Twitter, as quote-unquote example posts. In one of these emails to a CDC staffer, a Twitter employee said he's looking forward to setting up regular chats with the agencies. Other emails show the scheduling of meetings with the CDC over how to best police alleged misinformation about the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, I'm not saying every single post by users was legit right on information, 
But fuck, the CDC is probably one of the largest distributors of COVID vaccine misinformation. An April 2021 email from the CDC staffer to Facebook states that the, quote, algorithms that Facebook and other social media networks are apparently using to screen out posting by sources of vaccine misinformation are also apparently screening out valid public health messaging, including Wyoming Health Communications. You guys, this high level of coordination between government agencies and social media and Google makes you wonder to what extent other private companies decided to work with the federal government to censor the public. The Biden administration has faced a lot of criticism for engaging in what most people believe is 1984 Orwellian practices. Now we have the Department of Homeland Security Disinformation Governance Board. The Free Beacon actually reported that the now shuttered disinformation board arranged a meeting with a Twitter executive who blocked users from sharing stories about Hunter Biden's laptop. That same laptop that had kitty porn, drug use, sex trafficking, and was later proven to 100% belong to Hunter Biden. The CDC's effort to police the alleged disinformation expanded to other federal agencies as well. Check this out. An internal March 2021 email from a senior CDC of staffer states, We are working on a project with Census to leverage their infrastructure to identify and monitor social media for vaccine information. One email shows a senior CDC official appeared at Google's 2020 quote-unquote trusted media summit. The conference, according to its website, was just for journalists, fact-checkers, educators, researchers, and others who work in the area of fact-checking, verification, media literacy, and otherwise fighting misinformation. Straight-up ministry of truth shit, you guys. And all these big tech motherfuckers are intertwined with each other. In one chain of emails, a senior CDC official, a Google staffer, offers to promote an initiative from the World Health Organization about, quote, addressing the COVID-19 infodemic and strengthen community resilience against misinformation. Now, that same Google staffer offers to introduce the CDC official to a Google colleague who is, quote unquote, working on programs to counter immunization misinformation. Facebook also awarded the CDC with a $15 million in ad credits for the company's platform in April 21. According to several emails, this gift will be used by CDC's COVID-19 response to support the agency's message on Facebook and extend the reach of COVID-19-related Facebook content, including messages on vaccines, social distancing, travel, and other priority communication messages. Now, that was according to an internal CDC memo. Now, what kind of surprises me is all these motherfucking village idiots that still believe the fact checkers, that still believe the bullshit that's being spoon-fed to them by these lying government officials. Now, of course, when the Free Beacon contacted Google, Twitter, and the CDC, they never received any comments back. Totally fucking shocking. I know, right? They're hella transparent, though. So speaking of total lack of transparency, declassified CIA files show that in 1955, an informant boasted about meeting with Adolf Hitler in Colombia and provided pictures of himself with the Fuhrer over 10 years after Hitler's supposed suicide in Germany. 
The declassified files show that in 1955, the CIA's Western Hemisphere Division, the WHD, chief received a secret memo. The subject line boasted, Operational Adolf Hitler. The WHD operational chief received this shocking memo from the station chief in Venezuela, who claimed to have received a once-in-a-lifetime tip from one of his contacts. In one brief, one of the action station chief's informants was contacted by a trusted friend, former SS trooper Philip Citrion, who claimed to have been in touch with Hitler, masquerading under the pseudonym Adolf Schuttlemeyer, about once a month in Colombia. While they're on a trip as an employee of the Royal Dutch Shipping Company, Citrion indicated he had even taken a picture with Adolf Hitler, and a grainy snap is indeed included in the memo. He also stated Hitler left Colombia for Argentina around January 1955 and added that as 10 years had passed since the end of World War II, the Allies could no longer prosecute Hitler as a criminal of war. Now that isn't actually true because according to the Nuremberg International Military Tribunal of 1945, there is no statute of limitation on war crimes or even crimes against humanity. Which is actually kind of good news because maybe at a later date we can get Fauci and the other big pharma crooks arrested for crimes against humanity. Now this message concluded that neither the informant nor the CIA station itself was in any position to give an intelligent evaluation of the information included in the memo, but it was being forwarded, quote, as of possible interest. Now, after this memo, the WHD chief followed up on a memo by reviewing the agency's files and found a year prior there was indeed a report not only making the same claim regarding Hitler not being dead, but also suggesting there was a whole colony of Nazis in South America. Again, made by Citrion. Philip Citrion told a former member of this base that while he was working for a railroad company in Colombia, he met an individual who strongly resembled and claimed to be Adolf Hitler. Quote, Citrion claimed to have met the individual at a place called Residencias Coloniales in Tunja, Colombia, which is, according to the source, overly populated with former Nazis, following this alleged Adolf Hitler with crazy Nazi passion. Yeah, so he's just basically saying all these ex-Nazis are living in a little village here and they are following this man who is now claiming to be Adolf Hitler. Now, when the station chief wrote to the WHD chief again, asking if they wish to make further investigations into the supposed Hitler sightings, a week later, the WHD chief responded ambivalently. While he had no objections to undertaking further investigations into the matter, he felt Quote, enormous efforts could be expended on this matter without the possibility of establishing anything concrete. As a result, he suggested the matter be dropped. Now, the CIA aren't the only alphabet soup group to have declassified documents claiming Hitler was alive. There are also documents similar to this at the FBI vault. The FBI documents suggest that Hitler and Eva Braun's suicide was faked. The infamous pair might have had help from the Swiss director of the United States OSS himself, Alan Dulles. In one FBI document from Los Angeles, it is revealed the agency was well aware of a mysterious submarine making its way up the Argentinian coast, dropping off high-level Nazi officials. 
What's even more fucking insane is the fact the FBI knew he was, in fact, living in the foothills of the Andes. In a Los Angeles letter to the Bureau in August of 1945, an unidentified informant agreed to exchange information for political asylum. The informant not only knew Hitler was in Argentina, he was one of the confirmed four men who had met that German submarine. Apparently, two submarines had landed on the Argentinian coast and Hitler, with Eva Braun, was on board the second. The Argentinian government not only welcomed Hitler, but they also aided in his hiding. The informant went on to not only give detailed directions to the villages that Hitler and his party had passed through, but also credible physical details concerning Hitler. Now, while in the FBI documents this informant is never named, many FBI agents believed this was a credible report. But what do you guys think the FBI did? <laughs> Even with detailed physical description and directions, the FBI still did not follow up on the leads. Even with the evidence placing the German sub U-530 on Argentinian coast, even with several eyewitnesses attesting to lots of Nazis landing in Argentina, even with directions to the villages the informant claims Hitler passed through and physical descriptions of Hitler, they decide not to act. Well, maybe the whole Alan Dulles helping Hitler escape situation has something to do with that. Now, for the longest time, it was claimed the Soviets somehow got Hitler's body, but DNA testing on the jaw confirmed it to be a woman's jaw, not Hitler's. So there's literally no hard evidence Hitler committed suicide that day in the bunker, but we have lots of reports coming from different areas of the world that Hitler escaped to Argentina. And not one of our intelligence services decides to go, hey, maybe check it the fuck out. Seems a bit suspect to me. Now, in the show notes, I will link the FBI vault documents on Hitler, which are like 700 pages. So if you're going to read that, have fun. And I will also link the declassified CIA documents in the show notes. So go check it out if you want. Now, before I get out of here today, I'm going to tell you about a study published in October 2021 showing how the mRNA vaccines could massively impact ovarian and breast cancer risk. And two scientists linked to the NIH and Big Pharma conspired to remove it from publication, putting women everywhere at total risk from cancer. Now, I'm getting this information from arcmedic.subtrack.com. It was written by Dr. Ah Khan Saeed. So late last year, it was discovered that a generation of women exposed to the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein could be at significant risk of ovarian and breast cancer. Now, I'm not going to go into like a bunch of fucking medical speak. I'm just going to try to summarize it for you real quick and make it easily to understand because the point isn't about the cancer causing. I've talked about that a million times. The point on this is these two motherfuckers that conspired to cover up the study. Now, just to give you some context of the medical issue we're talking about, it's the same thing that Angelina Jolie had a prophylactic mastectomy to basically reduce her risk of breast cancer because she has a specific gene mutation. So basically what these scientists discovered was the spike protein was damaging the BRCA gene. And that gene is extremely important on repairing DNA issues. 
it basically stops your cells from turning cancerous in response to environmental stress. And that's why women with the BRCA mutations are at a much higher risk of breast and ovarian cancer than those without. The authors of the study designed an experiment to look at the possibility that the SARS-CoV-2 proteins might impact this pathway in white blood cells. They were doing an experiment that was of vital importance to the world's population. Now, unfortunately, what they found was one of the spike proteins of the COVID virus obliterated the DNA repair mechanism in white blood cells, which is really fucking bad. The spike protein was so toxic to this pathway that it knocked 90% of it out. This is an environment that's almost guaranteed to cause cancer. Now, these two researchers literally just reproduced what Pfizer had already done proven beyond all doubt that the spike protein gets into the nucleus. Now, I know the government and Big Pharma has said multiple times that the spike doesn't get into the nucleus, but that is a complete lie and has been proven totally false. According to preclinical studies of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine, it absolutely shows that the spike goes into the nucleus. They actually even made a brochure, no shit. It's a BioNTech BNT162 investigators brochure. And it has pictures of literal spike proteins in the nucleus. So don't fucking believe the bullshit that it doesn't go in the nucleus. So we have the mRNA vaccines producing the same full length spike protein as the virus and entering the nucleus where the researchers prove that the protein stops DNA repair. So you think this would be like, hey, let's let people know. But the researchers made a mistake. And the mistake he made was to admit in the paper that there was a possibility or probability that because the vaccine spike was the same as the virus spike, the vaccine had a real risk of causing cancer-inducing changes in DNA. Well, that got the attention of a couple of shills. The two shills in question are Eric Ofried of the National Institute of Health, ironically, a cancer researcher, and Oliver Schildgen, head of the molecular pathology at private university, Witten. Within two months of the researcher's paper being published, Freed and Schildgen submitted an absolutely ridiculous and shady as fuck expression of concern to the journal that this research was published in. The claim was that they weren't happy with the study design, but the phrasing was absolutely just batshit crazy, suggesting that the author of the paper had expressed concerns about his own paper. That's absolutely false. Fake as fuck. Fake news. Freed was the one who raised the concerns, and he referred to himself in the third party as, quote, one of the authors, basically just playing word salad mind games with people. Eric Fried works at the NIH, and yes, the same National Institute of Health that funded Moderna. Coincidentally, Moderna also has a kabobo job. Oliver Shulden? Well, he's not only listed as the academic editor on that same paper, but he published in the same year a paper whose co-author had declared disclosures with nearly every major medical pharma company, including Pfizer. Get the fuck out of here. But yet, the strangest thing about Professor Dr. Shulden 
is that he was the actual editor of the journal that accepted the original research paper, presumably ensuring that in October it met the high standards of scientific merit, yet in December it suddenly didn't. What the actual fuck? So yes, this same motherfucker that supervised the peer review of this paper, then within two months, co-authors an expression of concern about the paper that he seriously and literally approve for publication and no no one thinks it's fucking crazy nobody thinks it's weird but the problem is that this information never gets out to women on a mass level these women don't know how much risk they're putting themselves at for cancers terrible forms of cancers that have a very high death rate and most of these women don't even know and they're getting their daughters injected with it fucking clown world. Now, before I get out of here today, I just have to say what's up to Texas, New Mexico, and California, and give Kansas an honorable mention. You motherfuckers are downloading a lot, and I just want to tell you I appreciate it. Shoot me a line at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com. I have lots of documents I can send you. If you have an idea for a show, let me know. Now, I am going to give honorable mentions to the world at large. The UK, Canada, Australia, and Germany are my four top downloading international communities. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you listening. That's what's up. And come check me out on Instagram at Vanished Athena. So, as I always tell you, be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Cha-cha.